Welcome to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education, dedicated to helping PTs and OTs improve patient outcomes while earning continuing education credit. For information on earning CE credits for this podcast and satisfactory completion requirements for your state and profession, please go to summit-education.com or click the link of the course description in your podcast platform. And I'm your presenter, Victoria Wood. A little bit about me. I'm an occupational therapist and I've been practicing in pediatrics uh, for over 25 years. I practiced in home health, daycares, schools, outpatient clinics, and inpatient rehab. Currently, I work in a school setting just north of Charleston, South Carolina, and I've been there for this my third year. In December 2019, my first book was published. It's an instructional guide to teach others to see your home and community with sensory eyes. This is a much-needed resource for anyone working with persons with sensory processing disorder. You can find this book on Amazon or the OT Toolbox. In addition to pediatric treatment, I've trained and used a certified animal assistant or therapy dog. Polly has visited nursing homes, hospitals, and pediatric clinics to assist with therapy and improve treatment objectives. For more information about learning about animal assistance or therapy animals, uh, there's a summit webinar on animal-assisted therapy you can view. Along with treating patients, I'm also a summit faculty lecturer. You can check out the summit website for past and upcoming webinars and podcasts. Last but not least, I'm a content writer for the OT Toolbox. This is a fun side job writing posts about different topics relating to OT. You can also find me on Facebook at The Sensory Queen. Let's begin our presentation talking about virtual autism. New clinical case studies have found that many young children who spend too much screen time on TV, video games, tablets, and computers have symptoms labeled as autism. When parents take away the screens for a few months, the child's symptoms disappear. The term for this phenomenon is virtual autism, or autism induced by electronic screens. The term virtual autism was coined by Romanian clinical psychologist Marius Zamfir. In truth, there is some speculation that virtual autism doesn't actually exist, and that it's really just autism spectrum disorder. However, if it does exist, then the major, if not the only, difference between autism spectrum disorder and virtual autism is the cause. So what is the difference? The answer lies in knowing what virtual autism is. Virtual autism is actually a condition that's believed to occur when young children under the age of three are exposed to excessive screen time. This happens when screen viewing for too long of a time causes autistic-like symptoms. This is not the same as a virtual autism assessment. If you do a quick Google search for virtual autism, it'll take you to some websites to have your child's autism diagnosed through a virtual assessment. This is not the same as virtual autism. 
When you dig a little deeper, you can find that a virtual autism assessment and virtual autism are not the same thing. In a recent study, results showed that children who spent less than three hours viewing electronics a day had language delay and short attention span, while children who spent equal to or more than three hours a day had language delay, short attention span, and hyperactivity. While we found that more than half of the children had no parent-child interaction during exposure, speech delayed and short attention had been reported in all the cases, and hyperactivity was found in 66.6% of the children. This is a significant finding. It shows the importance of a child's interaction with people and the world around them. Social interactions such as eye contact, and communication skills are some of the most observed behaviors when attempting to diagnose autism spectrum disorder. Deficits in these areas can lead to a possibly false ASD diagnosis. In the same study, it was found that even the light-dark rhythms that help the brain produce melatonin, dopamine, and increase a child's understanding of their relationships to themselves and others can be messed up with too much screen exposure. These phenomena can cause children to experience screen withdrawal when they're separated from the world they have immersed themselves in for too long. They can lose their ability to sleep properly, interact with others, and can become depressed or even angry. This aggression that can accompany this can further damage their relationships and leave them with self, low self-esteem. Let's take a step back and look at our typical autism and see uh, what we can find out about causes. The exact cause is unknown, but there are a lot of theories that have been thrown around um, there's a theory that it's genetic, that is passed from one parent or both parents to their child or children. We know that if you have a ch one child with autism, then your next child is even more likely to have autism and so, so on. Um, there's been speculation about our diet. We have a lot of processed foods in our diet now. Red dyes, antibiotics in the food, genetically modified foods, fast foods and generally a lack of nutrition in our kids' day-to-day um, -day diet. Um, then there's the environment. There's toxins in our environment. There's lack of sunshine. There's lack of exercise, lack of fresh air. You'd really have to be in a bubble to be in a toxic-free environment. If you go to... Even a school building, there's things that come in through the air vents that come up from the carpet. You're breathing air and, you know, germs are swirling around. So there's definitely um, going to be difficult to rid the environment of any kind of um, exposure. There is a correlation with um, having a difficult pregnancy and possible autism possibly bed rest, high blood pressure, stress, or medications during pregnancy. There was a lot of talk about vaccines or chemical exposure, and while they've uh, discounted this theory, there is some talk still about whether 
uh, the amount of vaccines we're getting all at once has some sort of impact. I really noticed that there's a fragility of children compared to 30 years ago. 30 years ago, you didn't really have a lot of children with allergies, maybe a little hay fever, a little dust, but not so many peanut allergies or allergies to milk and gluten and apples. And then we have an increase in children that have asthma and hyperactivity and other commonly diagnosed um, illnesses that um, were not that prevalent years ago. There's been a correlation between an older mother or father, something in the um, mother's eggs or the father's sperm that has some sort of effect on the gestation of a baby. Uh, preemie babies um, have an increased risk of having developmental delays and sensory disorders. Uh, their systems are just not developed when they come out of the womb. Um, a C-section versus vaginal delivery has shown an increase in sensory uh, type of uh, difficulties due to just the nature of not pushing the baby through the birth canal. Then there's parenting. Maybe passing along your own fears and idiosyncrasies. While this isn't necessarily going to cause autism, it might cause a fear of dogs or especially um, sensitive about water or not wanting to get messy. So then there's symptoms that can show up that seem like they're autistic characteristics. And then there's less sensory input for infants. They're on that back to sleep program instead of swaddling and laying on their side. There's less tummy time during infancy. There's even a new syndrome coined called container syndrome. And this is saying that babies are more often carriers and playpens than held now. And while this is convenient for parents, it's causing developmental delays, uh, torticollis, a flat head, uh, social difficulties, language delays, just from lack of exposure to their environment. And then, of course, there's excessive screen time, which we're going to dig into more today. And what we do know is that there's a lot of theories out there, and there's no one theory that's held more weight than another. So at this point, we just need to um, see what we have in front of us and uh, work on treatment rather than um, constantly searching for a cause or blaming somebody. One of the more interesting and plausible theories of late is electronic-induced autism or virtual autism. Let's look at the statistics. In 1975, one in 5,000 children were diagnosed with autism. In 2005, 20 years later, it was already up to one in 500 children. In 2023, the CDC estimates one in 34 children are diagnosed with autism. These numbers may be off due to inaccuracies in diagnosing. However, the number of cases of autism has been on the rise since well before 1975. What's striking about the data above is that the rate of autism diagnosis drastically increased starting around 1975, and this was the beginning of the modernized television usage. 
1975, families generally had one television per household, and there was little programming available to children. Maybe they sat around the TV one evening to watch a program, or in the 1980s, you could find cartoons on a Saturday morning. Now families have giant TVs in every room, along with video consoles, computers, phones, iPads, and other electronic devices. Television shows and electronic products are advertised for children as young as six months, trying to draw people in. Now, the causes of virtual autism seem to be more concrete than just um, for uh, typical autism. So the causes they found are excessive technology use among toddlers. It significantly contributes to observed behavioral and developmental challenges. Additionally, other factors are causing virtual autism among toddlers. According to a report by Lockmat Times, toddlers exposed to excessive screen time, including smartphones, tablets, computer, and television, are at a higher risk of developing virtual autism due to overwhelming virtual stimuli. Insufficient opportunities for toddlers to engage in the real world, face-to-face interactions with parents, caregivers, and peers hinder their development of essential social skills and emotional understanding, further contributing to virtual autism. Reduced time spent engaging in physical play or outdoor activities leads to an imbalance in your toddler's sensory experiences, affecting their overall development and making them prone to the risk of virtual autism. If you think about life 10, 20, 30 years ago, there was a lot more outdoor play and playgrounds and um, natural sensory play than there is now. Excessive use of digital devices by you or caregivers in front of your toddler models unhealthy technology habits and further contributes to virtual autism. This Dr. Um, Zamfir did a research study, and in his study, 75% of the subjects with autism that he was studying, they were found to have consumed more than four hours of screen time per day. In this five-year longitudinal study, patients who were diagnosed with autism had all their electronics removed, demonstrated a 37% improvement in IQ. Children with classical autism have a neurological impairment, which is serious, and involves irreversible destruction of neuronal links. In the case of virtual autism, it's a lack of proper development of the neurological system due to a lack of stimulation of motor, sensory, and social stimulation. It's not the destruction of links in virtual autism, but their inexistence. The proper um, motor pathways are not being developed based on lack of input. In his study, Zamfir had all the subjects receiving therapy, so the control group received twice as much therapy as the screen group. The control group continued to have their screen time, and the screen group did not. He noticed that um, there were two case studies of babies who were six months old who were left at four months of age to watch four to six hours of screen time daily. By six months, the parents had noticed their babies seemed to stop hearing, were no longer interested in the voice of presence of family members, presented repetitive and stereotypical behaviors, and seemed to be in a world all of their own. 
In this research, they removed 100% of electronic devices and noticed immediate and rapid changes. This was how they were able to draw the conclusion that um, just removing electronic devices, they could see a huge improvement in behavior and cognitive ability. Spending too many hours a day in a virtual environment withholds key stimuli on a young child's developing brain. Most of the time, the child receives only certain sensations, possibly visual or auditory, from a virtual environment and cannot correlate these visual and auditory sensations with other types of sensations like vestibular, tactile, odor, and taste, and then are unable to develop them accordingly. If you don't intervene early, such as before age two and three years, the problems will become more and more acute. This can lead to a speech delay. Cognitive abilities can be affected as well, possibly leading to mental disorders. These issues can affect a child's ability to negotiate social interactions in the same way neurotypical children might. While watching a one-dimensional screen, you're not able to get all the correct sensory input and social impact that you would get in a real-life environment. There's another new syndrome called post-digital nannying autism syndrome, or PDNAS. And this is just another term for um, virtual autism. And the symptoms of virtual autism might include a various of indicators that highlight the potential effects of expressive screen time and digital immersion on a toddler's development. Some of the pre prevalent signs that we see in toddlers with possible virtual autism or is they have an excessive level of activity and restlessness beyond what's considered typical for their age. They're in constant motion and often take excessive risks to get that kind of input. They have an inability to concentrate or sustain attention on tasks or activities. They have a strong preference for virtual activities over other real-life interactions or hobbies meaning that given the choice to play with Play-Doh or paint, they would choose their iPad over this other uh, more healthy option. They generally have impairments in speech and language due to a limited social interaction outside the virtual world. When you're watching a video, the information is coming at you. Uh, you're not interacting on a conversational level, and while you're bringing in information, your output is not the same. You might see frequent irritability and frustration um, due to difficulties transitioning from the virtual environment to real-life situations. Difficulty maintaining focus on a particular activity or conversation for an extended period. Sudden and significant changes in emotions and mood lead to unpredicted behavior. We've noticed even in young teens that they're unable to um, use their working memory to follow a chapter book or a long movie or program. They're so used to short video clips now or fast-moving video games that they're not even conditioning their brains to take in longer-term information rather than just these short clips.
According to the American Academy of Pediatrics, they feel that young children are exposed to screens far more than what's recommended. Um, they recommend that children under the age of two not be exposed to screens at all. That means not looking at an iPad, not looking at a phone, not sitting with mom or dad while mom or dad's watching something on TV, just glancing at the TV, just no screen time at all. In two to five-year-olds, they want less than one hour per day, and older children be limited to two hours a day. Children are tuning into electronics in excess of 10 to 12 hours a day. Now, when we're talking about no screen time at all, we're talking about no exposure. The only screen time that is acceptable is doing a live FaceTime conversation or Skype conversation with a family member because it's live and there's um, interaction and the benefit of talking to a family member that they might not see on a daily basis outweighs any kind of deficits. In Romania, there's a um, Stop Virtual Autism campaign, and it's widespread there, recommending no screen time for children under two, and it's gaining popularity there. In the U.S. and France, pediatricians and specialists have met with much resistance, and as you know in probably the practice where you're working now, that when you try to talk to caregivers or teachers or other professionals about removing screen time, you're presented with 101 reasons why it's beneficial to have screen time or necessary or that there's no other choice. In underdeveloped countries without the use of modern technology, autism diagnoses are significantly lower. And in some countries or small islands, they're non-existent, which then points to modern technology having a significant impact on a child's development. Now, what about the um, rate of autism in the Amish community? Now, it's virtually non-existent. It doesn't mean it's zero, but it's virtually non-existent. And it was thought originally that it was due to vaccines or lack of vaccines, that um, that, that was the sole contributing factor. But they've since done more longitudinal studies, and there are several Amish communities who do vaccines, and they've still not noticed signs of autism. So they're pointing more towards their holistic lifestyle, their organic food consumption, natural exercise, and that the Amish shun electronics in their communities. They're virtually living in a time before the 1970s, before television, before um, our lives were tainted with um, out, outside exposure to electronics and toxins and things that might be harmful to the developing brain. Now, should we get rid of electronics? And the argument is while children do learn to count, sing, and repeat phrases from watching television, do they understand the concepts? Language is best learned from experience adding apples together to do math, touching objects to learn about their properties, exploring the environment to use their senses to learn. Feeling the snow or rain on one's face is not the same as seeing it on television. And saying that the children are learning to count and sing and repeat phrases watching television, they can learn those same skills from singing songs with you or doing a puppet show or reading a book 
or doing arts and crafts and drawing. There's a lot better ways that they can learn those basic skills than sitting in front of a screen. Watching television and playing video games has showed a dramatic spike in aggressive behaviors. Playing video games affects the brain and decreases the understanding of real life. How do you explore your environment? Take a minute and pick up an object next to you. It might be a pen or your phone or the computer mouse or anything. If you didn't know what it was, how would you explore it? So if you just looked at it, what could you tell about it without touching it? You might be able to tell its color or how big it is, but could you tell what it does or how it feels, what it smells, what it does exactly? So if I have a pen in front of me, maybe I'm going to look at it. I might listen to see if it makes a noise. I'm going to feel it. If I'm a young child um, or I'm really not sure what this is, I might smell it or take a lick or throw it or bang it or squish it to try to get an understanding of what this object is. Now, if you had the same object on a computer screen, what could you tell about it? Just the way it looks, really. You might not even be able to tell the size of it or the exact function just from looking on a computer screen. This is the reason that babies and toddlers learn to explore their environment using their senses. They do feel things, and they do smell and taste and throw things and bang them in order to make sense of what's around them. Without this three-dimensional view, it's much more difficult to understand objects and concepts. I worked with one four-year-old child in particular who had only been exposed to television and iPad apps. While in theory he seemed very clever, he could count and say the alphabet and even read some words aloud. On the iPad, he could do puzzles and other games, but in real life, he had no idea how to put a 3D puzzle together, use a crayon, stack blocks, explore with his senses, or understand mathematics. He had been robbed of those experiences by a parent who thought she was doing what was best for her child and didn't understand the importance of social interaction with your child. So if we are adding screen time, what would be better screen time? So electronics aren't always terrible. There are benefits to it, but it's better if you are sitting with your child and explaining what they're seeing or working together. Or if you see teachers using a screen on the board, they generally stop the screen and they ask for people to come up to the board or to interact and take turns or recite what they're doing and then they turn that information into a three-dimensional real-life experience. So when you're thinking about is screen time okay for my child, I want you to consider some of these questions. Do small children understand killing in a game is different than killing in real life? Do you get extra lives in real life? Does a seven-year-old understand this? In real life, can you stand up and walk away after being hit by a truck? Have you ever watched Tom and Jerry and think about, we used to think that was just funny. Now, if you didn't have um, a good base of reality, 
You might think that you get hit by an anvil and stand right up again. Would you allow your seven-year-old to play games with teenagers and grown men in real life? Would you allow them to talk with strangers and refer to them as their friends? Would you read aloud to a six-year-old from a book about death, bullying, or other sensitive subjects without explaining it as you go along? If the answers are no, then why would you allow this for your children or students or grandchildren? It's because we don't think about it this way. We want to give our children what they like and what's motivating to them. And we don't think about the fact that we're exposing them to dangerous media and things that we're not in control of and things that their brain is not ready to develop. I had, it seemed in a six month period, several children who were struggling with screen time. I worked with a seven-year-old who tried to attack his mother with a knife and luckily for her it was a butter knife and I questioned him about what would have happened if he'd killed his mother and he said, it's okay, she has five more lives. He had no concept that killing in video games is drastically different from real life. He was just playing out a scene that he had seen in a video game. His mother was unaware of the type of video games she was playing because most of his friends were playing them too, so she thought if everybody's playing it, it must be okay. She hadn't done her research. I had another patient who wanted to kill himself, so he was laying in the street. When I dug deeper, he had been watching the movie Coco and thought going to heaven would be amazing like in the movie. The parent had failed to discuss the fictional aspect of the movie, And without going into theology with the little boy, I had to let him know that it's unlikely he would return once he died. And I had to have a hard conversation with parents about even something like a Disney movie. You should have that interaction. Be watching things with your children so you can talk about fact versus fiction or how they feel about things or processing what they're seeing. I had another boy who wanted his mom to hit him with a ruler after he made a mistake. His mom was horrified. She'd never struck her child before. So when she came to me wondering where this might have come from, it turned out he'd been playing a math game. Mom figured since it was a math game, it would be safe, and so she allowed it. In the game, the principal in the game smacks the kids with a ruler each time they get a wrong answer, and all of a sudden they get a chance to make it right. So this little boy was thinking... If I make a mistake and you smack me with a ruler, then I can get another chance to make it right. He had no idea what he was asking to have done to him or what that would feel like or that the correlation wasn't exactly correct. And so, again, mom had a difficult time processing this and revamping all the things that her child was exposed to. When we're teaching our young teachers, to become teachers, student teachers, um, the message that we're sending often is that they need to add more technology to their classroom. Students training at different universities in their teaching programs, they're often graded on adding additional technology to their classroom. They're encouraged to add more and more technology to learning models because children respond to it. And um, so they're getting sent the wrong message that This is the best way for a child's development. There are entire counties 
Across the United States, they removed all learning objects such as crayons, scissors, blocks, glue, and worksheets. In kindergarten classroom, favors of the iPad and Chromebooks for learning. Their theory was that they could save money on crayons and scissors and blocks, and children liked the iPad anyway, so they were much more motivated to learn that way. These educators didn't see the value in a three-dimensional learning environment and weren't doing long-term studies to see what they were robbing these children of when they were providing just an iPad for learning. Lori Frome has developed a model called ScreenFast, and she advises 100% screen removal for a month while collecting data on behaviors, eating, sleeping, activity level, and social skills. After a month, the option is to stay screen-free entirely or determine if the child could stick to the limits imposed by the American Academy of Pediatrics. Clearly, removing screens from the life of a young child is not an easy task for parents. The child will have tantrums and will go into withdrawal, and the rest of the family will be inconvenienced with the television turned off. In theory, turning off your screens 100% for one month in order to determine if your child has virtual autism or not and to possibly cure them seems like something everybody would be on board to do. But because of the addiction that young people and their caregivers have to electronics, it's met with a lot of friction. Now here's 11 reasons that children with autism are extra vulnerable to screen time and electronic addition. So um, these are children who are already diagnosed with autism and we're um, now adding electronics and it's making their symptoms worse. Children with autism tend to have low melatonin and sleep disturbances. Screen time suppresses melatonin and disrupts sleep. So you probably work with a lot of young people who um, don't sleep through the night, wake up very early. When they go to sleep, they can't stay asleep. And a lot of it has to do with electronics. Children with autism are prone to arousal regulation issues, manifesting in an exaggerated stress response, emotional dysregulation, a tendency to be overstimulated, and screen time increases all of those things. Autism associated with inflammation of the nervous system. Light at night from screens also suppresses REM sleep or rapid eye movement. And this is a phase of sleep in which the brain cleans house. So for those children who are getting up at night several times a night or having trouble going to sleep, they're not getting into that good REM cycle in order to have their brain reset and refresh. Children with autism spectrum disorder, they're especially vulnerable to the effects of electronics, and they have more difficulty recovering from these effects. Children with autism are especially sensitive to stimulants of all kinds. Screen time is a significant stimulant. Stimulants tend to make children with autism irritable, weepy, over-focused, more obsessive-compulsive, 
and unable to sleep. Stimulants can also exacerbate tics, self-injurious behaviors, aggression, and sensory issues. The autistic brain tends to be underconnected. It's less integrated and more compartmentalized. Screen time hinders whole brain integration and healthy development of the frontal lobe. Studies show reduced white and gray matter in the brains of young children exposed to too much screen time. So actually seeing brain-related changes in these children. Children with autism have social and communication deficits such as impaired eye contact, difficulty reading facial expressions and body language, low empathy, and impaired communication. Screen time hinders development of these skills. Even in children and teens who don't have autism, screen time appears to directly compete with eye contact and has been shown to delay language acquisition. So even your young people and teens who do not have autism or not anywhere on the spectrum tend to have difficulty with communication and social skills and um, friendships and developing relationships. Children with autism are prone to anxiety, obsessive compulsive traits, and social anxiety. Screen time is associated with an increased risk for OCD and social anxiety, while it contributes to high arousal and poor coping skills. Serotonin regulation and amygdala changes have been implicated in screen time. So we're actually changing the way the brain chemicals work when we're adding too much screen time. Children with autism frequently have sensory and motor integration issues as well as tics. Screen times have been linked to sensory motor delays, worsening of sensory processing, and precipitate or worsen vocal and motor tics due to dopamine release. You hear a lot of children on the autism spectrum with echolalia or echoing sentences of things they've seen on TV at a difficulty creating real-life conversation but can have a full conversation echoing something that they've heard. It's likely that they're going to have sensory processing difficulties because they're not experiencing their world in all its dimensions. They're only having visual and auditory input. Individuals with autism are typically highly attracted to screen-based technology. And they're not only at risk for developing video game and other technology addictions, but are more likely to exhibit symptoms with smaller amounts of exposure. Male teens and young adults with autism spectrum disorder are also at high risk for porn addiction due to a combination of social deficits, isolation, and excessive computer time, and may develop romantic delusions or obsessions fueled by being accustomed to immediate gratification and a lack of practicing in the real world. At the same time, dopamine released by screen interactions reinforces these obsessive loops. We're seeing a lot more gaming addiction and gambling addiction and this addictive personality because of the way that we're getting immediate gratification on our computer. And while that is good in some ways that if you need to know a recipe, you can look it up online and get the answer. You don't have to wait for a week at the library. So there are benefits being able to get information, 
But at the same time, not having to wait for anything helps with um, increasing that difficulty with impulse control. Children with autism tend to have a fragile attention system, poor executive functioning, and reduced bandwidth when processing information. Screen time fractures attention, it depletes the mental reserves, and impairs executive functioning. A lot of times things are black or white on screen time. A equals B on the screen. You do this input and you get this output. There's not a lot of room for error. Children with autism may be more sensitive to EMFs or electromagnetic fields. These are emitted from wireless communications, for example, Wi-Fi and cell phone frequencies, as well as from the electronic devices themselves. That you might see immune abnormalities or responses and problems with the barrier integrity in the gut and or the brain. Sometimes we'll see... Uh, more constipation or difficulty with um, allergic reactions or sensitivities to foods, gluten sensitivities. So it's actually changing the chemistry of um, the other systems in the brain, in the body. Children with autism are at a higher risk for psychiatric disorders of all kinds, including mood and anxiety disorders, ADHD, tics, and psychosis. Higher amounts of screen time is associated with higher levels of psychiatric disturbances, including mood and anxiety disorders, ADHD, tics, and psychosis. And regarding psychosis, young people with ASD who engage in daily screen time experience hallucinations, paranoia, dissociation, and the loss of reality testing. Like the children in my case study examples, they were unable to tell reality versus fiction and um, what can happen or what are the real-life consequences to their actions. There's a lot of social pressure and miseducation surrounding the use of technology Families are dealing with highly disruptive behaviors in children on the autism spectrum and other typical children, and they're quiet, at least for the short term, by handing their child a device. So it's a um, self-fulfilling prophecy that child is screaming, I give them an iPad, they're quiet for a while. So that means that I want to do that over and over again, and the more I resist doing that, the worse the child's behavior becomes. Families are told that video games are normal and that it's something they can do with other kids. They're not advised what video games are good or how to do this with um, their children. Parents are encouraged to introduce technology early and often, especially if the child is good at computers. We see that they're great at something and we tend to want to foster that. In-home and school-based therapists often use video games and apps as reinforcers, finding this is the only thing that motivates their clients. And while this is true, you have to think outside the box to find other reinforcers or use them just temporarily and fade them out as soon as you're able to find a better alternative. 
Parents and clinicians are encouraged to try screen-based software claiming it calms autistic behaviors, improves communications or reading skills. There's a general consensus that mobile devices are changing the way we interact, especially among native users, those that have grown up in the mobile era. Sherry Turkle described in her book, Alone Together, youth and young adults especially are increasingly gravitating towards modes of interaction that do not involve face-to-face contact. In the process, many professionals are pointing to signs that this trend is affecting their ability to handle the intricate details of direct conversation, especially nonverbal skills like eye contact, gestures, the use of pauses, and reciprocal exchanges. Like any challenging skill, and yes, social skills can be quite challenging, less practice combined with appealing alternatives such as texting sets the stage for a decline in ability. As if we weren't struggling enough, then we added COVID in which it became the norm to have meetings on a Google Meet or it became the norm to work from home or to text instead of face-to-face contact. Therefore, young people became accustomed to that and are really struggling to mainstream back into the work environment where they have to be face-to-face with people on a day-to-day basis. What about the impact of virtual autism on toddlers? Virtual autism can have detrimental effects on toddlers' overall well-being and development. A few studies have also suggested that excessive use of screens can lead to autism. And here are some of the key areas that are affected. Social development is one. Excessive screen time and digital interaction hinders the toddler's ability to develop essential social skills such as communication, empathy, and understanding nonverbal cues. Spending more time in a virtual environment reduces face-to-face interactions, potentially hindering their ability to form meaningful relationships and connect with other people. It can affect their cognitive development. Toddlers immersed in virtual experience has a limited exposure to real-world language interactions, leading to delayed language development and vocabulary acquisition. Constant exposure to rapid-paced digital content can contribute to shorter attention spans and difficulty concentrating on real-world tasks. Then there's emotional well-being. Prolonged exposure to virtual environments may lead to heightened stress and anxiety in toddlers who may struggle to differentiate between virtual experiences and reality. Limited face-to-face interactions and exposure to dynamic digital content diminishes their ability to understand and empathize with others' feelings. Compound that again with COVID, in which toddlers were not even around other children for a year and a half, it's becoming increasingly difficult for them to associate with typical peers. Engaging um, with digital devices for extended periods of time can impact their physical health. It might lead to a sedentary lifestyle. There might be various health issues like obesity obesity and poor physical fitness. 
Excessive screen time, especially before bedtime, disrupts the sleep patterns, and this impacts overall health and well-being. Excessive use of digital devices um, affects the parent-child bond. It reduces the amount of time you spend interacting and bonding with your toddlers. It affects the emotional connection between you and your child, further impacting the parent-child relationship. It has an educational impact in that overexposure to screen-based learning limits your toddler's hands-on exploration and experiential learning, potentially hindering their overall cognitive development. How the brain's ability to regenerate cells is unlimited, contrary to what was believed before. So we do have the ability to build and regenerate more cells that were damaged. There is hope for teaching our children and our own brains furthering development that was lacking. Employing the right kind of stimulation, interactions, and tactics is key. Early interventionists believe that the earlier we begin treatment in our children with virtual autism, the better. This means allowing them to develop their minds through exploring the world around them and interacting with their peers and others. Eliminating their screen exposure for a time while they feed their developing brains is vital. Some other treatment options would be a screen-free or screen-fast time. This would be totally eliminating screen time for at least four weeks, cold turkey. You might have withdrawal symptoms such as depression, fatigue, lack of motivation, or tantrums. But given a few days, children will start to explore their environment. And if they've never been exposed to creative play, you might need to teach them some of these um, play-based skills. Screen reduction is another way you can um, slowly reduce daytime screen uses to get to a more appropriate level. There's apps that can track how much screen time a person has used in a day and shut it off after a certain number of times. Timers, clocks, and a token system are other ways to reduce screen time. It's best that the child can learn to self-regulate their screen usage rather than constantly reminding them to get off their electronics. It's a really great learning experience and self-discipline to decide do they want to watch their whole hour first thing in the morning, or spread it out evenly through the day, or um, wait as long as they can and then watch, but they can work on that um, self-regulation skill um, by learning to regulate their own screen usage. It's important to establish screen time limits, set appropriate guidelines for screen usage, and encourage alternate activities such as outdoor play, reading, and creative play. Encourage social interactions. Foster face-to-face interactions with family members, peers, and caregivers to promote social skills and emotional development. Provide a nurturing environment. Offer a safe and stimulating environment that supports cognitive, emotional, and physical growth. It's important to provide your children with opportunities to grow. Art supplies, an outdoor playground, running in the grass, playing in the sand, a trip to the beach or the playground, reading books, doing puzzles, making cooking experiments, things that will stimulate their brain development. If you have concerns about virtual autism, 
It is wise to consult a healthcare professional or developmental specialist for an accurate assessment and tailored interventions. It's also important to monitor the screen time. Remove all the apps from the iPad except one or two educational games. Limit fast-moving videos and games. You can return to using DVDs or videotapes to limit viewing times to the length of the video. Once the video is finished, there's no more left. So you're going to want to really be vigilant about the types of input our children are getting from their technology. If you have a child who really likes that visual input, you can provide other alternatives such as spinning toys, light-up wands, musical toys, instruments, interactive books, um, books on tape, music and singing. Um, even a Kindle Paperwhite is preferable to a tablet because um, it's not going to have that that moving picture and that screen, and it might be motivating so the child feels like they at least have some sort of electronic device. There's these great monthly subscription box ideas that um, something comes in the mail each month, and it might be a craft box or a science box or a box of fidgets or foods from around the world or spy games, and um, these provide something exciting that comes in the mail each month. Some other suggestions are make a daily schedule to follow with the child so the child knows you know when is screen time or when is bath time and when is outside time so they know that there's not going to be a lot of downtime just to sit around. Establish rules for the use of the TV, the computer, and the phone and work on those rules with your child. You're going to remove any gadget from the child's visual context. That means if you're sitting watching football, that the child's not sitting glancing at the football or that they're not looking over your shoulder while you're on your phone. You need to um, remove those electromagnetic frequencies for a while. Offer rewards when the child respects the daily schedule and they don't use up all of their screen time. Um... Build a special place in the house with exciting things that can be used when the child gets bored and wishes to play on the tablet. So when they're asking for the tablet, you have an area that has something new. You know, go to the dollar store and buy a few things or have um, some new books set out or some puzzles or new activities that rotate so that um, it's not the same toys over and over again. It's a good idea to close the TV and the computer while homework's being done and also at mealtimes. TV shows, computer games should be chosen with discernment. If you are going to watch TV as a family, then choose what you're watching wisely, knowing that it might be your 30 minutes together during the day and that's it. Physical activities, sports, and other exercise programs are great for developing uh, the sensory system. Getting our kids out in the real world is a good step in the right direction. Social interaction with peers, moving their bodies, playing and exploring the world in a hands-on way can boost brain development and mood. This can prevent virtual autism symptoms as well as reduce them. We learned above that the children who had the most effects from too much screen exposure were the ones who lacked parent-child interaction. 
spend time together and establish good routines so there's not as much opportunity for downtime and boredom. Teach children to play independently or with other children and model creative play. One of the best treatments for virtual autism is just don't start. Educating families early on not to start allowing their babies and toddlers to view electronics. This includes keeping it out of the line of sight even if the TV's on for someone else. This needs to be a movement that we start in early intervention in pediatricians' offices, uh, in schools, to really let people know some of the effects of too much screen time. Knowing something as simple as screen exposure could be so incredibly detrimental to our kids' health is terrifying. Most parents are guilty of allowing technology overuse. Technology overuse is inevitable in the world we live in today, not just for children. All ages of people struggle to balance time in front of the screen. There's times when screen exposure is out of our control. When your child maybe goes to school, you're not in control of exactly how much they use, or a time maybe when they're getting a medical procedure and have to lay very still, so having a screen is the only option, really. Too much screen exposure is not always a result of bad or ignorant parenting. Also, even if our child develops virtual autism as a result of us being a little too liberal with our electronic screen media, it doesn't mean we don't love our kids, that we can't do something to help undo the damage. The best screen time is no screen time. Sitting in front of a fireplace while you're reading a story or get outside and toast some marshmallows. Read a book together. Do a family activity. We really have to change the way we think about technology. And as we find out, too much of a good thing is a bad thing. I want to thank you for tuning in to this podcast today. And I hope that this prompted you to do some more research about uh, virtual autism and the impact it's having on the clients you might be working with. Make sure you check out my book on the OT Toolbox and on Amazon or to follow me on Facebook. And you can get on to Summit to see what other webinars and podcasts I've done um, in the past that are continually running. And again, I thank you for tuning in. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the PT and OT Connection Podcast by Summit Professional Education. To view accreditation information for your state and profession and access completion requirements to receive a certificate for completing this course, please visit summit-education.com or click the link in the course description in your podcast platform.